0: You're well. Enjoy the sunshine. Enjoy the royal wedding. Uh, I, I must confess that Helen said she was going to watch, and she had her cake and her tea and all that stuff. And she said, do you want to watch? And I said, no, thank you. And I walked down to the pub to watch Saracens playing uh, in the semifinal. And to my amazement, the biggest screen in the pub was the royal wedding. And I had to watch my Saracens game on this tiny little screen. And I said to the guy, I said, can you please turn up the... Because there was no one in the pub, by the way. I was like the only guy there. I said, can you please can you please, just turn up the sound so I can hear the rugby? And he said, no, we, we have to wait until the royal wedding is finished. So, so even the guys in the pub were watching the royal wedding. But it was a, a wonderful, wonderful time, wasn't it? And a great celebration. So uh, um, I, I also just want to say, uh, the last two weeks, um, Clive and Helen preached on the presence of God. And I really want to commend those messages to you if you, were, if you weren't here. Uh, go and listen on the podcast, they did a wonderful job just talking about God's presence, how we can enjoy God's presence in our lives, and what that looks like. So please go and watch the, uh, watch the podcast, go and listen to the podcast if you missed those um, uh, two messages. And I'm going to continue this morning on our study of Colossians, so if you've got your Bibles with you, please turn to chapter 3, uh, take out your phone or your Bible, and we're going to look at Colossians chapter 3. Um, you might say, "And this is taking a long time. It's four months now, and we're in chapter 3. This is taking a long, long time. What is wrong with you? Well, I want to say Paul also took a long time to help people understand who they were in Christ before he got them to do anything. So I want to say to you, if you are understanding now after four months a little bit more about what Jesus has done for you and how much He loves you and how magnificent He is in your life and all that He's bought for you on the cross, and you're beginning to understand that a little bit more— then the last four months have been absolutely worthwhile, because now we're going to start talking about what God requires of us. All right? But too often we speak about what requires of us, God requires of us, far too quickly. And people start living out of striving and legalism and feeling like they have to do the right thing without having a glimpse in their lives of how magnificent and awesome Jesus is. And when you start understanding how magnificent and awesome Jesus is, then other things start to flow out of your life automatically. And that's why Paul does what he does. In all of his letters, he spends time explaining who we are in Jesus before he gets us, encourages us to do anything for Jesus. And so uh, last time, just to kind of set the, uh, the perspective of what I want to say this morning, remember last time I spoke about useless legalistic religiosity. That we, our lives in the church can be full of useless things. And Paul was trying to write to the Colossian church to encourage them that nothing good, no blessing, comes from legalistic religion. There's no blessing in your life that comes from that. And Paul was trying to remind this church and say, don't focus on that. Focus on Jesus and what He's done for you. And then good things start to flow out of your life. And um, it's quite simple that you know religious behavior produces fruit. And we can see the fruit of, of any kind of religion quite easily. Legalistic structures in churches or cults or religions show themselves quite quickly by their fruit. And that's also true of super-spiritual churches who try to emphasize eccentric doctrines, and they focus on obscure things uh, in, 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 a, in a sense to try and show how spiritual they are. But nothing good comes from that. And if you look at church history, you can see church history is full of stories of churches that have insisted that you dress a certain way, that you eat certain food, that you observe certain days as holy and righteous, and all these kind of things. Um, And you you, you can eat this and you can't eat that. And they make regulations of very ordinary, everyday life experiences. And so we've seen, as we've looked at Colossians, that Paul is saying he had that stuff even in his day. It's not new, but nothing good comes from that kind of stuff. It doesn't produce spiritual life in you. Uh, And remember what what Paul said last time I I preached, uh, at the end of chapter 2, he says, These rules, which have to do with things that are all destined to perish with use, are based on mere human commands and teachings. Such things have an appearance of wisdom with their self-imposed worship, their false humility, their harsh treatment of their body, but they lack any value in restraining sensual indulgence. So Paul says all that kind of religious behavior, do this, don't do that, fast on this day, make sure you're doing all this kind of stuff. He says there's very little value in all of that. Actually, it doesn't restrain the sinful nature. It can't help you with the sinful nature. And isn't that what... um, Luther found out as a monk, he said he, he, of all the people that were monkish, he was the best monk of all the monks that there ever were. I'm paraphrasing him, but that's what he said. He said he fasted the most, he prayed the most, he, he starved himself, he, he woke up at th- 2 in the morning and 4 in the morning and 6 in the morning to pray, and none of that helped him rid his conscience of the sense of guilt, that his sin actually wasn't dealt with, and that only came when he discovered the amazing grace it's through faith in Christ that we are saved and in no other way. And when he realized that, his life transformed. And that's what, what, uh, what Paul is saying here as well. And I found in my life that it's actually uh, people that are, little, are wicked enjoy being legalistic. They enjoy being heavy-handed. And Paul actually says, he says, that kind of heavy-handed legalistic behavior is not godliness at all. It's actually appealing to your sinful nature. It's appealing to the fallen part of your nature. It's not appealing to that part of you that is the new person. It's pre- appealing to that part of you that was the old person. And that's what legalism does. It appeals to those things, the base things in our nature. They think if we just can do this, we're going to be spiritual. And Paul is saying, you got it all wrong. That's all that all belongs to the old man. All that legalistic behavior belongs to the old man which has been crucified with Christ. And you are a new man, a new woman in Christ Jesus don't try and behave like that anymore because that's the old person. That's what the old person does. The new person, the new person loves Jesus. That's what the new person does. The new person has been made alive in Christ and loves Jesus with all of, all of the, its heart. All right, so here we go. This is we, that's all to introduce chapter 3. And we're going to read five verses, and I'm going to make some comments uh, out of those five verses. So this is what Paul says now after setting the tone in the first couple of verses in chapter uh, first couple of chapters in chapter 3 he says since then you have been raised with Christ set your heart on things above where Christ is seated at the right hand of god set your mind on things above not on earthly things for you died and your life is now hidden with Christ in god when Christ who is your life appears then you will also appear with him in glory Put to death, therefore, whatever belongs to your earthly nature, sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires, and greed, which is idolatry. And so Paul is reminding us, and I want to remind you again of a couple of things. Remember, every Christian is a new person in a new kingdom. Remember that of your own life. Remember Colossians chapter 2 starts with this. You have died with Christ. And now Colossians 3 starts with, You have been raised in Christ. All right? Remember, you are a new person. If you put your faith in Christ, your life is no longer in the old kingdom. Your life is in the new kingdom. You have died with Christ, and you have been raised into the new kingdom with Jesus, and so live like a new person. This is what Paul is saying. Every Christian has died with Christ. Every Christian has been raised with Christ. And because of that, Paul says these amazing words, set your hearts on things above. Ah, Things above. I was at a lecture in Oxford, and this lecturer said, you know, in the Old Testament, the word uh, for for sexual purity implies that actually it doesn't matter if you sleep with someone as as long as you're working towards marriage. It's okay to sleep with someone as long as you're working towards marriage. This lecturer said that. And I thought to myself, how low is your bar? How low is your bar? The best you can do to encourage people is, so oh, it doesn't matter if you sleep with someone. As long as you're working towards marriage, that's what the Old Testament says. Actually, I say, rubbish. Grace calls us Higher. It grieves me that so many young people are sitting in churches where pastors and preachers are saying that. Doesn't matter, doesn't matter, you know? Sexual purity doesn't matter. Masturbation's not such a big problem. Pornography it's okay. Don't worry about it. Is your bar so low? Christ calls us to a new life. That behavior belongs to the old man who has been crucified, who is dead. It belongs to the old man, Paul says. You don't give yourself to that anymore because that's the old and the old is gone. The old has been crucified and the new man has risen in Christ. Who do you appeal to, the old man or the new man? Such a low bar. No, Paul says, you have been raised with Christ. Set your heart, your mind on things that are above. Seated at the right hand with the Father right now. Come on, guys, ladies, set your hearts on things above, not these carnal things that pagans live by. Come on. can I encourage you? Are you discouraged or are you encouraged? Set your heart, your mind on things above. I don't care if the brightest minds in the world are saying it's OK to behave like that. Jesus says, "I've made you a new person. You are a new creature live like a new person, enjoy life, because my life lives in you, you are in him, that means you are joined in him, that means like you are a branch on a tree, that means like you are a limb on a body, so you are joined to Christ, says Paul, it's like a marriage relationship, the two become one, that is the image that Paul uses, that's what you are, the new person in Christ, you are wedded to him, you are like a branch on a tree in him, that's Paul's image, and everything that now happens in our lives is shared because we are in Christ. So Jesus has no relationship with sin. Why? Because he died to sin. Jesus has no relation to the law to the Mosaic law. Why? Because he died and fulfilled the law completely. Christ was attacked by Satan on the cross, but now he's not threatened by Satan at all. Jesus rose from the dead, and he now reigns in newness of life, and he's seated at the right hand of the Father. And Paul says one day he will be revealed, and every one of us and all of creation, the whole cosmos, will see his divine glory that he shares with his father. So, why is Paul emphasizing these things? Because I want to point this out to you. The, the main reason he's doing this in, in such a, a, a detailed way is to show us as Christians that everything that happened to Jesus has happened to us. That's what he's trying to drive into our heads to get us to understand. Everything that happened to Jesus has happened to you because you are in Christ. Well, what does this mean? It means that every Christian has died to sin. And sin no longer reigns over your life. That's what Paul is saying. Christians no longer have sin as the ruler in their lives. They are rather ruled by the Holy Spirit of God. And so the illustration I used a couple of weeks ago, remember? When Paul says, he says, That legal certificate of all the sins that you've ever committed. That legal document that has a hold on you, that condemns you and points out everything you've done. Paul uses that and he says, that was nailed to the cross when Jesus died for you. It is gone forever. Amen. Praise God. It is gone forever. There's no record of any sin in your life once you are in Christ Jesus. It is blank. It is gone. God does not see it anymore. It is as far as the east is from the west. Colossians 2.14. So remember of that in your own life. You have died to sin. It is no longer ruling over you. You are in a new kingdom. Secondly, you have died to the law of Moses. You have died to that kind of godliness that it encourages you to imitate rules and regulations that have been invented by men and women to say that's what godliness looks like. Paul says you've died to that. That's the old man. Are you with me? Just think about it, the implications of that. Rules that people have made in order to say this is what godliness looks like. You conform to those rules. Paul says that's part of the old that is gone. it has been crucified. You no longer live like that. You are a new person in Christ. That is radical. That's absolutely radical. You are in a completely different kingdom. You are in the kingdom of of our God and his Christ. You are no longer in that kingdom that tries to please God by living and doing things in a, in, in a legalistic way to please God. That's the old man that's gone. So you've been transferred. Every Christian has been transferred into a completely new realm. And you've been raised up, says Paul. And you're coming into this, conforming yourself because you are in this new kingdom. You're giving your life to conform to the new kingdom, not to the old kingdom to the new man that is alive, not to the old man that's been crucified. And so we make every effort to persistently do that. And I've said this before. I want to say it again. That's why I say to you, just love Jesus with all of your heart. Love Him. Ask Him. Walk with Him. And all the other stuff will fall into place. If day by day you're asking Jesus, Jesus, what do you want me to do? How do you want me to pray? Who do you want me to to love on today? Jesus will tell you by the power of His Spirit and you will automatically do all that He wants for your life. Without having anyone beat you over the head and say, do this, don't do that. Why aren't you praying five times a day? Did you have your devotion today? Did you? Did you have it in the morning or the evening? Didn't you have your devotion today? I want to say to you, you love Jesus, you will have a devotion with him. I sometimes miss my devotions. Shock, horror. Then my wife reminds me, have you had your devotion? (laughs) That's true. I'm not advocating that you miss your devotions. I'm saying have regular devotions because you love Jesus. But if you miss one one day, it's okay. You just double up and you do two the next day. (laughs) All right. Why? Because all of our behavior must flow out of a love for Jesus. Come on now. Paul says, secondly... We've, uh, the second thing that he says in these verses, we have a, every Christian is a new person, and I've looked at what that means. But he also says every Christian has a new outlook, a new perspective on life. That's why he says. Because you're a new person, set your mind on things above. He says your whole outlook must change. Don't focus on earthly things. Focus on heavenly things. Focus on Jesus. Focus on His kingdom. Focus on what He wants for you. And so I want to remind you that the great great comfort that we have as Christians is that right now Jesus is ruling at the right hand of the Father in heaven. Remind yourself of that. You are following the ruler of the universe. Your focus, your attention is on what does Jesus want me to do, who's sitting right now at the right hand of the Father, interceding for me, praying for this world, praying for my life, praying for my future and how I fit in. How does Jesus want me to live? That's what Paul says. Make every effort to focus on what Christ has for you. You see... The reality is, as we set our hearts on things above, there's still a whole lot of stuff that happens here on earth. Isn't that true? So people get saved here on earth. There's no salvation in heaven. You don't get saved in heaven, right? It happens here on earth. For goodness, forgiveness of sins happens right here on earth. Why are we still alive? We're born again here on earth. So our perspective is... is is, is uh, influenced by what Jesus is doing in heaven, but we still live here on earth. So we don't live in, in, for our own pleasure. We don't just simply live for our own social success or our own material gain. No, why? Because our heavenly perspective is influencing what, how we live now. That's what Paul is saying. Let, let what's happening in heaven influence everything of how, what you do and live here on earth. Don't live like pagans. Don't live like earthly people. We don't have any kind of heavenly perspective. No, your perspective is of Jesus' kingdom and what he has for you. So let your life on earth start to conform to what you're seeing in heaven. Does that make sense? That's what Paul is saying. And then he says that you have a new source for life. You're in a new kingdom. You've got a new perspective. Thirdly, you've got a new source for life. And he puts it beautifully like this. For you died and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. Your life is hidden in Jesus. There's a new source of power for you that no one knows anything else about. People will say, how can you live like that? Why do you value these things? And you, it will be hidden to them. They won't be able to see it and you will be able to know in your heart, my life is hidden in God. My life is hidden in Christ. He is the source of my power. He's the source of my wisdom. He's the source of my integrity. It's all about Jesus. My life is hidden in Him and that's why people can see something different about me but they don't know what the source is but the source is Jesus. My life is hidden in Christ. You get it? That's what Paul is saying. Your life, every one of us who are in Christ, our lives are hidden in Christ. And it's a mystery to other people. They can't make sense of it. They wonder why we do what we do. And and Paul says, you know your life is hidden in Christ. He's your source. And one day, Paul says, all of this will be revealed to the entire cosmos. When Christ, who is your life? Verse 4. Appears, Then you will also appear with Him in glory. We are united with Christ in every way. We are in Him. Our position is in Him. He rules from heaven and we obey what He says from heaven. And it informs our life here on earth. And the source of our power is hidden. And one day when Jesus comes back again, everything will be revealed to the universe and to every human being. And everything will be seen for what it really is. It will all become plain to everybody. That's what Paul is saying. And so I put it to you, if Paul is saying we have been made new people, if we are no longer in an old kingdom, we are in a new kingdom, if we have this hidden source of power because our life is hidden in God and all is good is about to be revealed and rewarded and all that is wicked about the world will face judgment, Paul is really saying it's best if that's true that your life begins to conform to your heavenly Father's will. That's what he's saying. And so we, read, we reach in verse 5, this beautiful, magnificent moment in Scripture. Therefore, therefore, in the light of all of this, Paul says, Therefore, put to death your sinful nature. And I'm sure you've heard this before when uh, people have said, when you see in the Bible the word therefore, best to ask what it is there for. All right? And I put it to you this morning. I'm absolutely convinced of this, that the Bible, the way the Bible teaches godliness, the way that the Bible teaches holiness, the way that Jesus teach, teaches holiness, the way that the Holy Spirit teaches holiness, the way that Paul teaches holiness— Is wrapped up in one little word, therefore. If you want to understand how to live a godly life, understand this one little word, therefore. That's all you have to understand, and you will live a godly life. What I mean? Well, the Bible never starts by appealing for godly living, it never starts by appealing for holiness. It starts by describing, it never plunges into commands of what you must and must must not do. It always starts by describing what God has done for you. That's where it starts. It tells us the story of what God has done for us and the magnificent thing that He's made possible. And then it starts telling us and and encouraging us towards godliness. So if you look at any letter, and I've said this before, Ephesians or Romans or 1 Peter 1, for example, it's always more than halfway through the letter that Paul starts saying, well, now I want to encourage you in terms of how you live. What he does in the beginning, and you see Jesus as well in the Gospels, he's always talking about who God is before he says, this is what you should do. And so here in chapter five, uh, chapter 3, Paul starts moving on to these practical encouragements after he's painted this magnificent picture of all that God has done and dropped this little word in saying, therefore, now you do this. So let me sketch then some false ways. If, if, I, if, I, if, if, if uh, you give me some leeway, just to, so, to if you don't understand yet what I'm getting at, uh, that's where I'm going, all right? All, all godliness in our life starts with a little word, therefore. Okay, that's my thesis. Here I want to give you, sketch some ways that other people say godliness comes. Typical pagan way, non-Christian way, of appealing for godliness in a good life is simply to assume that you can do it that it's possible and it's simply a matter of responsibility it's a matter of effort and willpower that's all you need to live a good life exert your will try really hard you can do it that's a pagan way and so if you if you if you'd like to uh, think uh, there's endless appeals from politicians endless appeals for headmasters at schools for the kids to behave well even as parents We're always appealing to our children. You can do it. Try and produce morality and the good life in other people by urging them to try harder. (laughs) This is not the way the Bible teaches godliness. Just try hard, my son, and you will beat that thing. How many times haven't we done that? Secondly, some people add threats to that. They add a kind of layers of threats. And so they, they, they add... Retribution and punishment on top of that command to try harder. If you disobey this, bad things will happen to you. My son. <laughs> My daughter. So we, we add a little bit of threat, layer, layer of threat on top. Even the Mosaic Law was a little bit like that. Under the law, if you committed adultery, dead. Killed. John 8.5 says that. Think of other, other things that happen in our current world. Think of religions. Think, think, think of, of governments that threaten people today to chop their hands off if they steal. If you steal, chop your hand off. If you commit adultery, we'll stone you to death. If you have a single, if you're a mum and you have a, a baby out of wedlock, we'll take your baby away. Think of all the things in the world that happen right now where people... Th- Kidnap others. Take hostages just because this or that demand was not met. This is morality by fear of terrible consequences. This is what motivates in these kind of religions. Terrible consequences if you do not obey what I'm saying. I'll chop your hand off. I'll stone you to death. All in an effort to get you to live a good life in the way that I see a good life. And third... There are people more in in our Western context that just appeal to logic and think if you present enough good reasons for people to choose a good life, they will choose a good life. It's logical. Of course you must choose this. It's the best for you. It's going to have the best outcome for your family and your children. And so I'm appealing to your good sense, young man, young woman. I'm appealing to your good sense. It makes good sense to live like this. It's logical. How many of you think that works? Peeling for the good life out of a logical kind of argument. If we just do this, you know, this is going to happen. The planet's going to be better, uh, and we all can live a good life. Now, y- you can hear that I'm saying uh, I don't agree with these things. <laughs> and there's some other uh, uh, things that Christians have, have, have said over the years that I also don't think are, are quite hitting the mark. So here's some answers to how we live a good life that you can find in different Christian circles. First, there are Christians that say all you need is a spiritual experience of God's holiness. Like holiness, if you can just understand how holy God is and have a revelation of holiness, and it falls on you, and you kind of have this uh, revelation, you will live a good life. So it's kind of somehow this mystical thing that comes on your life when you understand somehow God's holiness that drops from heaven and lands on you, and suddenly you're like, oh, I'm a holy person now. And you start to live in a holy way. I don't think that's true. Others say we must just yield to God. Just yield your life to God. I agree with this, by the way. This one I do agree with. But the problem is sometimes when people say yield to God, they've got a certain thing that they want you to do. (laughs) And they've got an idea of what they're thinking when they say you must yield to God. Now, I do agree. We must yield our lives to God. And then we will see something of holiness come. But often it's in the wrong way. What about, uh, maybe if you're a little bit older, you've kind of experienced one of these things. I've heard many fearful sermons about repentance. Oh boy, you must repent. You must repent. That's what's going to lead you to have a good life. Repent. (laughs) Repent. And so these fearful sermons come and people preach about repentance and people get so scared they rush out of their seats and they repent of every single thing they can imagine and things they haven't even done they repent of and they just want to cover all the bases and they repent and they repent. But it doesn't produce a good life. And so inevitably six months later the pastor is calling for repentance again. <laughs> And everyone rushes forward again. And they repent for the same things again and again. And they repent and they repent. And then there's some Christians who've um, said it, uh, they've adopted a, uh, a teaching that was around in the 18th and 19th century. And I've heard this quite a lot recently. People that preach grace, they say it's impossible for us to sin because we are in Christ. I love the grace of God. I preach the grace of God. But this is, not, this is not gospel. It's impossible for us to sin on earth because we have been made perfect in Christ. Therefore, we can't sin. And they live this kind of weird life where actually it's not real. There's obviously sin in your life. You're just denying it's there. This is something that's quite common as well. And then lastly, there are Christians that have said the best way to be a holy person is to withdraw. And so go live in a monastery, become a nun, a monk, just remove yourself, and then you will be holy. (laughs) Now obviously, I'm landing, saying all of that, to land on this very little word again. The Bible's teaching on holiness is summarized in one word, therefore, therefore. Every aspect of our life and how we live comes down to living on Jesus. Okay, that's why Jesus said to the disciples, unless you eat my body, unless you drink my blood, he was not talking about cannibalism. He was saying, unless you realize that the only source for your life is me, in me you live and move and have your being. In me you are rooted. In me is power. In me is source of life. In me is godliness. In me is holiness. Unless you live on me, you're never, never going to live a holy life. Do you get what I'm saying? So, to summarize the first two chapters, all that Paul has said, he said, you are in Christ. You have put your faith in Him. The Christian in life is one where you walk in a manner worthy of the Lord Jesus. You keep your eyes on Him. I'm quoting all these verses. You keep step in step with the Spirit. We are in a kingdom where Christ is the King. He's the Lord of creation. He's the Lord of His church. He's dealt with our past. He's brought reconciliation for us when we are enemies of God. He has a future plan for our lives. This is all in the first two chapters of Colossians. He has given us an inheritance which includes a final reward. And the indwelling of the Holy Spirit in our lives is a guarantee that all of that is assured and is to come. That's what Paul says. We preach Him, Jesus. We proclaim Him. He's supreme. All we preach is Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. Every conceivable blessing in this world is found drawing on the unlimited resource of who Jesus is in your life. And the blessings of the Christian life start with Jesus. As you received Christ, says Paul in the first couple of chapters. Then he says, so walk in Him. As you were died with him, so now you are raised with him. He's the soil. He is the the fountain. He is the foundation. He is everything. Therefore. Do you get it? Please say you get it. I'm trying my best. Therefore, says Paul. If all of that is true, therefore, let your life conform to the new person that you are. So that's why Paul says, avoid all those other things that try and rival Jesus. Religion, philosophy, mosaic law, tradition, weird spiritual experiences that somehow convince you that you're more spiritual than anyone else. Don't, don't even think about that. Those things distract you from the closeness, the fullness of just being in Jesus. That's Paul says, all you need, just be in Jesus. And all that other stuff is the old man and you've died to that, and you've been been crucified with Christ, and the new man lives. Feed the new man. Appeal to the new man. Young people, when you're trying to keep yourself sexually pure, don't give in to the old man. Appeal to the new man, the new creation. Why? Because I want to live for Christ, for in Him, He is my source in everything. He's my blessing in everything. My future and my inheritance is in Him. That's why I want to live like this. Therefore, That's the Christian way of preaching holiness. It's the New Testament way of preaching godliness. Simply working out our lives because of all that has happened to us in Jesus. And so, Paul spends all this time talking about our position, who we are, our future, our inheritance, every good thing that has done for us, God has done for us, in order to say this little word, therefore. Therefore. And so we're going to get onto to all the practical stuff now in the next couple of months. And if you want to read ahead, you'll see Paul has five basic areas that he covers with this little word, therefore. He says, therefore, this is how you should be as a Christian. Therefore, this is how you should behave in the church. Therefore, this is how you are a good husband. This, therefore, is how you are a wonderful wife. And this is how together you've, you cope with raising children. That's what Paul says in the next two chapters of Colossians. Therefore, (laughs) the therefore comes out of the great thing that God has done. You want to love your wife? Love Jesus. You want to love your husband? Love Jesus. You want to love your kids? Love Jesus. You want to be a good uh, Christian? Love Jesus. You want to know how to behave in a Christian community? Love Jesus. Therefore, Jesus has done all this for you. Let your life conform to the new person that you are, not the old person that you were. And when we understand that, when the Spirit does that in our, heart, in our lives, it's not hard. You don't have to fear. You don't have to strive. You just walk with Jesus and the Holy Spirit, and it's delightful and full of joy. You know, the one thing that I, I left out of my notes, which I'm just remembering now, is that when I was talking about legalism, this is the great irony of legalism is that um people that are very legalistic think they're being holy <laughs> and Paul says there's nothing holy about legalism at all how many legalistic people have you have you have you met that are really happy anyone legalistic people are never happy why because <laughs> they're not happy with themselves And they're not happy with their relationship with God. And they feel like they're under this striving to do stuff. And then they're not happy with anybody else either. Because everyone else appears to be breaking the rules. Isn't that right? (laughs) And when you see someone else breaking the rules, you get really angry. You know what Paul says? He says, true holiness, true holiness includes freedom true holiness include, includes an insur- assurance of your salvation and sh- and and true holiness includes happiness holy people are happy people Holy people have a smile on their face. Holy people are not those that are born under this load of, I've got to carry this thing that I've got to do for God, and it's so hard. It's so hard to pray. It's so hard to get my kids to come to church. It's so hard. I'm laboring under this thing, and I just can't do it anymore. That's legalism. If you feel like that, there's legalism. Holy people are happy people. Holy people are full of God's life because God's life is flowing because they've realised that His life is their life. That's the difference. So I want to encourage you <laughs> this morning. I want to encourage you: live like the new person that you are. You are a new creature in Christ. He's done all this wonderful thing for you. Live like like that. Don't let yourself be sucked back and drawn back to try and please God by doing a whole lot of legalistic stuff. No, you follow the voice of the Spirit, and He will show you day by day, moment by moment. You love Jesus with all of your heart. You will be a good mom, a good dad, a good parent, a good lover, a good husband, a good wife, a good person in the church, a good person outside of the church reaching others if you just love Jesus with all of your heart. That's it. All of this is possible. Therefore, live your life for Christ. Amen? God bless you. Let's pray. Father, we do want to thank you that we are no longer slaves to sin, but we are sons and daughters of the Most High. I want to thank you, Jesus, that right now you are seated at the right hand of the Father, reigning and ruling of the whole of the cosmos, that you're praying for me right now, that you're praying for every single person that loves you by faith, that you are working in our lives so that we are going to walk into the fullness of the inheritance that you have for us. Holy Spirit, I thank you that your presence in my life and your presence in all of our lives is the guarantee that all of that is assured and is going to happen. God, I pray for this church. I pray for every single person, those that are not here today, that we would know with that deep assurance on the inside of us that our future is secure in you, that we would live like the new people that we are, that we would not appeal to the old man that's been crucified, but we would live in the power of the new that comes by your Spirit. Help us, Lord, to free ourselves from, from legalism, to free others from legalism, that we might live joyfully and happily, wholly before you. Jesus, you've made all of this possible. We're so grateful. We say thank you. And I ask you, Lord, that as we leave now, as we even drink coffee together or tea together, that something of our fellowship would be uh, setting our eyes on the things that are above. Lord, we, we, we want to conform our lives to what you have for us. Not this mundane, earthly stuff that so many people live by. But God, we want to live by what you have for us. Help, us. help us, Lord, to love you with all of our hearts. Jesus said the greatest commandment is this, to love the Lord your God with all of your heart, all your soul, all your strength, and to love your neighbor as yourself. Lord, help us just to get that right this week pray this all in the, ges- the pr- precious name of Jesus. Everyone says, Amen.